It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. All right, it's Talk LP Podcast time. I'm Amber Bradley, your host. Thanks so much for tuning in. Special guest today, John Melvin, Assistant Director of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. But when I met you, I mean, you were just a lowly attorney, really not, really not lowly. <laughs> You're definitely um, a huge resource for RLPSA at one of our uh, Connect events in Atlanta. And it's so great to be back with you. Um, just to talk about your new role, very exciting. Um, I, we're still going to call you new, although it's been two years. But um, yeah, yeah, we'd love to hear kind of... Um, your, a little bit of your background, what you're doing now with the GBI, and then we'll get into kind of some ORC trends and all that good stuff. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. This is really great to be here. Um, the uh, My background was primarily prior to coming over to the, the Bureau was a prosecutor. And I'd worked my way as a prosecutor for 25 years, ending my prosecution career as the interim district attorney of Cobb County, which is a jurisdiction of about 850,000 people. If it had been a state, it would have been the 46th largest state. Whoa. Um, but what's significant along with retail theft is the last 15 years of those 25 years, I really built a niche for myself specializing in, in RICO prosecutions, Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organization Act. Um, and in that, I prosecuted the largest elder financial abuse case, the largest state tax fraud case took down sovereign citizens, corrupt uh, government officials, but also went after some retail um, retail organizations under the RICO statute. So got a little bit of expertise. The way I made it yeah. over to the Bureau is when Governor Kemp was elected in 2018, uh, he appointed Vic Reynolds, who was the district attorney at the time of Cobb County, to be the head of it. And he asked me, he said, John, would you come over, made a very poor decision and appointed me as assistant director. <laughs> So at the uh, age of 56, I went through the police academy. Oh, uh, wow. Survived. Right. So now I get to wear this badge right here and um, bring my prosecution experience to it. So that's a little bit of my background. There's other things, but those are the things I think are important for the podcast. Yeah, that's very cool. I know I wanted to have you on partly because when you presented for PSA, you're one of our highest rated presenters you have an incredible style that i think is super engaging and i was like man we got to get this guy on kind of talking about you know the orc trends like what you're seeing in georgia and maybe even some nationwide commentary if it's in your purview but i mean you think about everything that's happened and we don't have to go into the details of the code and everything else quarantine and and um we're seeing both from a violence trend right that retailers are dealing with um and then also increase in violent shoplifting incidents, increase in ORC. So um, I know G-Rock is doing a great job there in Georgia, um, putting on some phenomenal resources for our um, folks in Georgia and the ORC um, realm. But why don't you just get, you know, kind of some free flow of your thoughts of, of what's, what are you seeing? What trends are you seeing in Georgia? And then and any other things you want to comment on? And then we'll kind of get more specific to retail techniques that you that you found in your career to, to help combat these things. Um, I, I'd be happy to, and thank you for the platform of that. The, um, and the platform to be able to kind of evangelize. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go. 
So here's the biggest trend that I've seen, um, both as a prosecutor and as at the Bureau as well. And that's actually, and it's almost counterintuitive, but it's actually the connection of gangs to organize retail theft. And there's been a lot of academic studies that show that gangs are responsible between anywhere between 50 and 90% of all violent crimes. Gangs are responsible for 80% of all illegal drug trafficking. Gangs are responsible for 85% of sex trafficking. Wow. Um, and they are, uh, and they haven't zeroed in, at least not to my knowledge, on gangs being responsible for organized retail theft. But here's what I can tell you anecdotally from having spoken with the vice president of Home Depot. They have massive issues with gangs coming in and uh, kind of like the, the old gypsy families of old that just swarm in and then swarm out. Yeah. And Home Depot was just screaming for help along with a couple of other retailers at a recent gang conference. And it doesn't surprise me at all. And in the Georgia area, 71,000 gang members and in Metro Atlanta, 50,000 gang members. So they're gonna make their money illegally either through selling drugs, selling women or stealing it from our stores. And what we're seeing on the crime trends is just like you said, violent crime is just going up, up, up. Atlanta set new records, DeKalb County set new records. Um, and it's the same thing on the theft cases too. And what's really striking is that the thefts are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more and more getting taken. Um, on a national trend, what's concerning as far as organized retail crime is that they're able to track some of the money back to Hezbollah and terrorist organizations overseas to where they still baby formula, stuff like that. They take it back to their group and that group is being funneled. The money's being laundered from Toronto all the way over to Hezbollah. So this is more than just a, a group of um, ne'er-do-wells, shoplifting baby formula. This stuff, we're talking billions, billions of dollars, and it's going to perpetuate ongoing illegal activity. Yeah, that's um, incredible. I mean, I, I think it's very uh, sobering to hear like someone from yourself that has direct access to the information and saying, no, no, you know, you, you can hear that where it, where you think it's like um, sensationalized a bit. Oh, okay. Terrorism really, but you're sitting here saying, no, no, it really is. Yes, ma'am. Actually, uh, can't go into specifics, but I've seen the money trails and it's, 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 it's scary and terrifying, but even not even thinking about Hezbollah, I mean, we, we got 71,000 gang members here and, and, 48% of all victims of gang violence are innocent people. So the, these, there is a connection between Lenox Mall getting ransacked and ripped off and the violence that's being perpetrated on the streets of Atlanta right now. There's a connection. It's not just Atlanta. Every single county in Georgia has gangbangers and that, it is an us for, they are the Philistines and we are fighting them. Yeah, that's really interesting, you know, to get your um, kind of update on, on what's happening. And certainly, as you see through the news and the media, it's like anecdotally, it's like, okay, this seems like it's increasing and certainly is like, what do you think um, from a law enforcement perspective? Like, what are some of the things that you guys are doing to, to help combat these type of things? And then, and then tying into that, you know, clearly our loss prevention and asset protection executives you know, doing what they can internally to protect their customers and, and employees and product, 
you know, um, getting to what they can do. So start, start a little bit with kind of y'all's efforts that you'd like to communicate out and say, Hey, look, we know the problem. You just articulated it. Here's some steps that we're taking. Okay. So let me talk to you about law enforcement globally, because it's a little bit different than the Bureau. The Bureau is a request only agency. So another jurisdiction, uh, police chief district attorney judge has to request us before we can come in. Got but it. when I'm talking about law enforcement globally, I can tell you what the issues are, uh, what the biggest problems are, and how we're addressing it. Here's the biggest problem that we're facing right now is politicians. And I'm talking about progressive politicians that want to take a soft hands approach on crime and on criminals that allow them to set up autonomous zones where laws are not enforced and allow them to go on on, on uh, nights and nights and nights of destruction where they hurt people, they damage $100,000 property. When the Atlanta riots were happening in 2019, I went there to stand with my troops while we were having thousands of people demonstrating. There was so, and this didn't make it into the newspaper. There was so much gunfire going on that the Atlanta Police Department put out over the radio stop calling out the gunfire. We can't respond. And uh, it was being allowed by politicians. In the same vein, under organized retail theft, there are cities going on right now that are saying, if it's under $1,000, don't arrest. Yeah. So what you see literally on video are people going in and any idiot knows if it's $1,000, then I'll just get $900 and walk out the door. And that's what we're seeing. And um, uh, <laughs> it, it is hard to win a war um, when with every three steps you go, you're taking five steps backwards. So until the politicians learn that you can't take a soft hands approach to this, um, it, it's going to be a battle of just mere survival. We won't make progress until they wake up and pass laws that make sense and more importantly, enforce the laws that are on the books. Enforce the laws that are on the books. So that's a law enforcement global perspective. We need the people that we are accountable to to say that we are going to enforce the laws that are on the books and don't undercut us. Don't take us out at the knees. Let us do the job that we're sworn to do. Um, GBI in specific, we are partnering with our local, uh, any local law enforcement agency to be able to address the problem of organized retail theft. Um, there's some ongoing operations right now in metro areas where uh, the flea markets are being, uh, we're, we're looking at um, some of the flea markets and the, um, I think you'll be seeing some rest coming out pretty soon where there's a lot of counterfeit merchandise that's going out flea market as well as, as stolen merchandise. And lo and behold, most of those, uh, most of that money that's coming in is funding Illegal narcotics are funding gangs that are out of state. And it's a, a serious issue that the Bureau is partnering with our, our local local partners on. Yeah, that's, um, and, and you know, you, this felony threshold limit has been a pain in the butt of our audience for years at this point. We've seen I it. Remember just, back yeah. in the 19, I remember back in the 1990s with Federated Department Store in the late 90s, said they weren't going to make arrest under $300. And then Riches went bankrupt. Uh, that was one of the Federated Department stores, if you remember that. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, 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 please. I mean, you know, and, and we're seeing videos and all kinds of things that 
like you said, I mean, it's a swarm that comes in and, you know, our, our corporations are basically having to say hands off. I think part of too, what we're hearing, you know, out of the LP community is a evolution of their relationship with law enforcement because they're so overwhelmed these days, right? Because it's like, oh, well, they're not going to respond to a right. shoplifting call. And, and so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, what do we, what do we do here? We can't even stop them to have detain them because no one's coming. So talk, and, talk a little bit about that. Well, if you remember, it was last year that Georgia, after the Ahmaud Aubrey case, uh, took a look at their uh, citizen's arrest law, and rightly so. Um, you, uh, it, the ability of an average citizen to, to make an arrest, uh, we saw the, the results of something like that. Fortunately, um, prior to that, because they just wanted an outright ban, and a number of us stood up and said, uh, what about loss prevention officers? If you don't give them and empower them, they're able to give the right to arrest. And this is going to, I mean, you might as well shut down business in the state of Georgia. And fortunately, our governor uh, really took the lead on being able to do that, as well as some of the other exceptions to the citizen's arrest law. So we are big advocates and friends with our loss prevention officers because they got a, they got a tough, tough job. Um, what's concerning for me is the increasing level of violence and disrespect that we are seeing nationally and locally against any show of authority whatsoever. So I would, I really want to just take a moment, encourage anybody that's in loss prevention right now to, to get some training in how to defend yourself, um, both lethally and non-lethal training, because it, it's an issue. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you know, we, we talk to retailers and I think, you know, even people listening work for companies that have policies all over the map you know, about, you know, those, those people that are still empowering the LP person to stop, stop the shoplifter from taking the merchandise out of whatever type of retail footprint it is. Then you have others on the other side of the spectrum that say, you just have to let it go because our employees' lives, you know, it's just not worth it. But I mean, what do you, what do you see, I guess, in your experience of retail that has been you know, your, I guess, advice, right? If you could sit down all the major retailers and say, here's what would really work and help us. Um, I'd just be interested to know what that is, primarily due to a lot of these evolving relationships, right? I mean, I've been in loss prevention a long time. A, a few years ago, you would hear, this is how we partner with law enforcement. And it's all of these activities, these events, these things where they're one-on-one. -on -one. We haven't even been able to do that really almost ongoing for two years based on, you know, everybody being locked down. But then you're talking about defunding the police and all of these mass, you know, retirements. And, and it's changed the relationship to even partner with the law enforcement like we used to. So I'm curious to, I guess it's like a 10 minute question, but curious to get your advice. Well, let me uh, first tell you, it's not because we don't love you and love loss prevention. We love loss prevention. We love y'all. But uh, just to give you some statistics, last year, Georgia as a state lost 10,000 officers. To date, we've only been able to replace 7,200. The outflow is exceeding the inflow. And so what we have are entire departments that are critical as far as manpower. So the ability to go out and engage um, is limited right now until we can get our manpower back up and be more involved in community and outreach and things like that. So right now, 
we're kind of crit we're at a critical manpower. And when we have defund the police and barbecue the pigs, um, I don't see that turning around anytime soon. I hope it does because uh, the numbers are just kind of staggering. Um, so outflow is exceeding inflow, numbers down. Um, but having said that, this is how loss prevention officers can assist us and help us. And that's to do as much work on the front end as humanly possible for law enforcement, just to work with us and help us. That's why I love being at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. So, because we, we are dedicated to help training and anybody that wants some training on, on how to put a case together, we'll be happy to, because you're just gonna make our job, Atlanta Police Department, Gwinnett County Police Department, Savannah, you're gonna make all our jobs easier by putting in the work on the front end to the degree that you can. And corporations, um, some corporations are in a, a better way to be able to provide that, provide the funding to be able to do something like that, because it's going to take some additional man hours, yeah. um, much more so than the jurisdictions that are having critical staffing issues. Uh, so um, to, to be able to put those cases together on the front end as well as you can, um, Here's what I've seen uh, in my 25 years of prosecution. A lot of people go into law enforcement officer and law enforcement profession because it's a paramilitary profession. It's a, it's a high energy, um, for lack of a better term, high testosterone profession. That does not call out to people that want to work computers and want to sit at a desk and work spreadsheets. And yet, the computer and the spreadsheet and the white collar crime is some of the most significant crime that we face in our community. And that goes directly to organized retail crime. From my perspective, I believe that the RICO statute in the state of Georgia is the greatest single tool to shut down organized retail theft um, because you can take out the broadest swath of people you can attack several different jurisdictions all at once, and I've seen it work. I've seen, I've seen certain crimes go down when that statute's been used appropriately to take out as many of the people as possible as opposed to the, the one and done. Here's, here's the problem that we face practically from a law enforcement and a prosecution side is when you get the larger cases like that from the Home Depots, from the Targets, from the Verizon and the T-Mobiles, generally, 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 you got a lot, a lot of spreadsheets and you got a lot, a lot of boxes of paper. Um, and the average officer looks at that and it's like, it's overwhelming uh, because you got 15 cases coming in the door that week. So to be able to devote the time that you need to devote on those boxes and boxes of spreadsheets it's a little bit overwhelming. So that's why I say to the degree that loss prevention can help us out in that regard, or corporate America can, it would go a great way towards assisting us in tackling the ultimate problem, which is the gang or the organized retail uh, crew. So does, if you, does that help? no, it does for sure. I mean, so if you could say, okay, the thing that could in, in, uh, accompany the boxes and the spreadsheets that would truly help you guys, right? It's almost like a on top sits a nice manila folder where you open it up and it's literally a case summary. I don't know. I, I don't do this for a living, but tell me, you tell me, like, is that part of creating the not overwhelmed? Yeah, I forgot. Part of my background is I'm also an adjunct professor of law. I teach at 
I, I taught at Emory Law School and, and still teach at John Marshall Law School. Um, and so in the evidence code in the section 1000s, there's something that's called the voluminous record summary, which is admissible. So if I got boxes and boxes of documents, an expert who's familiar with those documents can put together what's called the voluminous record summary. And it's literally a reader's digest version of what's contained in those boxes and boxes and boxes. So to put it in layman's terms, if you can put something together that'll kind of dumb it down and summarize all that stuff, that is so beneficial. What a blessing to law enforcement and to prosecutors as well. And I would encourage anybody that wants to put together some of the larger cases to do that, to give, and quite, and if I could just get really, some of us are real visual people, yeah. visual learners. So if you could put together a PowerPoint, that'd be awesome too. I really, yeah. I personally appreciate stuff. Like no, that. I mean, I think that we, I hear that often, right? When we're discussing this subject is like, we, we can't get the attention that we need, right? But right. Uh, on the other side of it, some people are saying, well, if you can't get someone to take the case, you didn't present the case right. Right. So, you know, kind of, I mean, right. We're little keeping it real. A <laughs> little caveat to that. Yeah. You might have presented it great and you might just have gotten in front of a loser. And I, <laughs> I just want to be honest. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of people that go to law school that say, oh, I want to try a case with a spreadsheet. I yeah. know that because I was a white collar prosecutor and people thought I was touched in the head. Yeah. They wanted the murders. They wanted the armed robberies. They wanted yeah. the violent crimes because that's what gets all the media. Um, but I enjoyed the white collar aspect of it. So it might not have been that you didn't convey it. It might correctly. It might have been that you didn't convey it to the right person. And so I would encourage anybody that has a large case that has kind of been frustrated with their local DA. Um, that's why RICO comes into play, because you can take it to different jurisdictions and even the attorney general's office themselves. So maybe just sing it, sing the same song, but to a different crowd. So we like to get pretty specific here on, on the podcast. And so it's voluminous record, record summary. Record summary. Okay. So if my audience says, man, that's awesome. If they literally, okay, this is going to sound stupid, but if they literally Google that, would they get some examples that people could, I mean, if they're not attorneys, you know, uh, they ought to, let me, yeah. uh, let me uh, he's trying it I... right here. This is like full action, <laughs> full action. Talk LP. No, look, this is a, I love getting specific too, because we hear this a lot. It's like, what do they need to do? I mean, loss prevention folks are experts in so many things. Maybe not, you know, they haven't all been to law school, right? To understand some of these things that would truly, that would truly help because, you know, that's what, that's what they're trying to get done, especially when, you know, they have all of these things that are, um, that they're losing it. Oh, so voluminous record. Yeah, so voluminous record summary and it's Federal <laughs> Rule of Evidence 1006, which the Georgia rules since 2013 have followed the, the federal rules. So you'd Google voluminous record summary and it makes it admissible in, in court. And that's awesome. Um, something, uh, something I use since 2013 and it's a real blessing to law enforcement and the prosecutors yeah. as well. Yeah, that might be a huge, a huge thing here for, for the audience. Okay, but along those lines, yeah. if we're going to talk law, if you ever provide any corporate documents, if you would go ahead and tender or give a business record certification, that makes the documents that you provide self-authenticating and it saves a whole lot of work on the backside 
as long if it's being done on the front side, then they don't have to come back and call you and say, I need this certification and I need y'all to provide any document that you provide. There is a form called a business record certification. And if you'll send that, notarize it, then it's it, a lot of times it prevents witnesses from having to come from the corporation. So it's a win-win for both sides. Man, you're full. You're full of these tips. This is awesome. Okay, what? Okay. And along that vein, like, it's no wonder you're a professor, right? So what else? What else will help them? Because I'm telling you, we get these questions all the time. Right here, I hear, you know, these investigators talking back and forth with each other, you know, talking about these things. Yes, ma'am. Well, one of the things I used to appreciate is when people would say, okay, not only provide the name of the witnesses, but what are the salient facts of the witness could testify to? Um, that, that's, that's always beneficial. Uh, the, we talked about the business record summary. We talked about the voluminous record summary. Um, I would also encourage any store to make sure that the date stamp on any videos that y'all have is actually current. It provides a lot of... It, it's a lot of headache when you get to court and a lot, you know, you, you get, oh yeah, you got your security system, but you didn't update it, you didn't do something. And so now the time is different than what's shown on the video and that creates all kinds of admissibility headaches. So yeah. if y'all would do those four things, man, oh man, oh man, it's Christmas time in prosecution. <laughs> so you might not even have to bring any like refreshments with you if you've got all of these things. You know, yes, to help bribe them, bribe them with these things, right? That's yes, probably the, well, I guess I shouldn't use the word bribe. That's probably not the best, <laughs> not the best use of words here. <laughs> I knew what you meant, but yeah, let's think about a different word. Because... Don't use the word bribe. That's my contribution to this conversation. Um, yes, okay, so we'll wrap it up here in a second. But one, one, one more thing I was curious about as you were talking is have in your career as a prosecutor and, and especially the white collar crime piece, is there any um, past taking the case? Like, is there any gotchas that you see over and over that like take down a case that you're like, man, if he had just, you know, if we had just had this, I mean, I don't know, I might not be phrasing the, qu the question right, but I'm just curious. What are the things that businesses do wrong? Yeah, yeah, pretty much to where, or, or if when the loss prevention person has given you the case, and you're like, yes, we're doing it. We're going forward. Um, like, is there anything that you're like, oh, we didn't have, you know, like you mentioned the um, video with the time and date stamp, right? Which is, is uh, which is so silly that it's, it really is very complicated to get that synced up all the time. But, you know, any other thing like that where you're like, man, you know, these are, these are some gotchas that on the outset at, through the investigation that LP people should be aware of. I don't know. Uh, not really. What I've seen from working with other jurisdictions and seeing cases that people have kind of pushed away or it's like, no, I don't want to tackle that, is when they get what's called, what's referred to as a record dump. Like, instead of pulling out the salient records, we're going to give you all 10,000 records. And, as, and, and they didn't point out. Um, and just give you an example. Uh, Gwinnett County, Cobb County, DeKalb County, they're very similar in numbers. Every one of them has 800 to 900,000 people. Um, and every single one of them has 10 courtrooms. Uh, those counties are gonna have 6,000 felonies every year. And just give you, a, okay, so 6,000 felonies, that's 600 cases per courtroom. Um, and of those 6,000, 5,000 will get indicted. So 500 cases per courtroom. Um, so that's about, 
just at about 50 cases a month, give or take. So you get one week in a four week month to try cases. So that's one week of criminal trial, one week of uh, divorce trials, one week of motions, criminal motions, and one week of child support. So I got one week to move 50 cases. Wow. You always, every single month, have 50 cases coming in. You got the murder, the armed robbery, the, the theft of the, you know, the $2 pizza tip added on the financial transaction card. So when you get a record dump, it's just, it's almost like I, I can't, I can't uh, you know, short circuit the brain. Yeah. So uh, record dumps, almost always fatal. So don't do record dumps. <laughs> don't give more than what somebody needs. Give enough. Don't give more than what they need. Um, if you do, make sure you do a voluminous record summary if you give a particularly large case. Yeah. The only other thing I've seen that is particularly fatal to a case is lack of inventory control. Hmm. So what happens is, and I've seen it uh, throughout, is a company won't have good, and this is not the national companies, the big major companies. These are the mid-sized and smaller companies. They don't do a proper appropriate inventory control. And so then they find an employee that they fire for dishonesty and they try and jam 10 years worth of thefts on that one employee uh, because maybe it was committed in a similar way or something like that. And you just can't do that. Okay. So have good, good, good inventory control systems and make sure that you're doing inventory accounting on a regular and routine basis because it ain't enough that it's done annually. Because when you come up at the end of the year, like particular tire shop that I was thinking of, came up 400 tires short. And they tried to jam all 400 tires on this one employee that they caught one time selling a couple of extra tires out the back door. You can't do that. Um, what, they, what would have been easier if they had done monthly inventories, and then we could have seen when the, when the theft started, and we could have seen patterns and things like that. So Appropriate inventory control is a death knell. Um, bad book management, death knell. Partnership agreements to give your partner complete authority, death knell. So those are just like the four that, that really come to mind. That's interesting. This uh, Let's use the tire example because <laughs> loss prevention people, you know, and I'm sure you've come into contact with this knowing what they do, right? They, they'll go in and interview slash interrogate in a nice way. Uh, the subjects, right? And then they get this, they walk them down this path, however they do it, using rationalizations or whatever techniques they're gonna use. And then they get to the part where they say, now, if you could just write that down for me, if you could just write this down. And then they walk them down a written statement situation where they extrapolate sometimes, not all of you, don't send me hate mail, not all of you, I'm just saying, some loss prevention folks may extrapolate out, right? Say, okay, so you were selling two tires out the back door for the last two weeks and you've worked here, I don't know, 10 years. So you, you know, doing the math, right? So you gave away 400,000 tires and this guy in the interrogation could be so, you know, jacked up that says, yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess, right? You're dealing, you're some of these retailers are dealing with 18, 19, 20 year olds. They're mentally you know, not as mature. So they say, okay, well, if that's 400,000 tires, sign here. So they're signing the confession. It is one of the things that I kind of take my little non-LP flag out and say, when you're in that process of this written statement and using your tire example, 
if you're inflating what this person truly even done, you're screwed. Penalty, throw the flag, <laughs> you know, 15 yards, personal foul. No, don't, yes, yeah, never inflate, never exaggerate, because then you lose all credibility. Here's the thing, in a restitution hearing, we have to prove the, uh, the value of what was stolen beyond a reasonable doubt. And if you were caught inflating at all, it's over. It's the whole done. thing, right? The whole yeah. thing's out. No, you'll, you'll get like the two tires that you caught them with that day. Okay. You're not going to get anything past that because you don't have any credibility. Yeah. Does that makes sense? No, totally. That's interesting. Press one other thing. Yeah, um, please. And this might be Georgia specific, but the, the, uh, the, re the, <clears throat> here's another reason why Rico is preferable to just taking out a bunch of theft charges. All right. Cause with the theft charges, all you need are two acts of theft to have Rico. Um, but with the, and it could be misdemeanor thefts and you can still get a RICO conviction. And it's hmm. a five to 20 year sentence. The theft statute in Georgia is jacked up. I mean, we got four layers of theft and to get to the highest level of theft, which is 20 years, you have to steal $25,000 worth of stuff. So, I mean, if, if I, and I, I don't have to prove that with RICO. I don't have to prove 20,000. I can prove misdemeanor theft and get 20. So I would encourage everybody, instead of working with that jacked up theft statute, okay. which also affects the retail theft statute, because they're all the same aggregates, really start thinking about RICO uh, as a way to attack these numbskulls. So if I understand you correctly, are you saying this RICO statute also helps get around this insanity of the felony threshold limit, right? Yes, especially with theft, because under the RICO statute, misdemeanor thefts qualify as predicate acts. So all I have to do is have two acts, and I can get racketeering. And racketeering is the criminal charge, and I can have as many of those two acts. And here's the other benefit of it. If I'm shoplifting in Fulton the Cabin Gwinnett, I can use every single one of those acts in any one of those counties that I can bring a RICO charge in. So if I only charge theft, I'm stuck in Fulton, or I'm stuck in the cab, or I'm stuck in Gwinnett. But with Rico, I can give the jury the picture of the entire event, and all I need to prove is two misdemeanor thefts, and I can get them for up to 20 years. So now, you would, go ahead, sorry. Now the judge isn't gonna sentence to 20 years on two misdemeanor thefts, so I wanna prove as many thefts as I can, but I don't have to reach that jacked up 25,000 mark. It's just crazy. That's interesting because because I'm I know Georgia might be different than whatever state our listeners are in, but it's a similar thing, right? To investigate these uh, laws to understand because it might be the same thing, might not be twenty five thousand, might be something different, but it's kind of similar, right? Yes, right. And twenty eight of our states have the RICO statute. Some of them only have a civil version, but uh, all twenty there's twenty eight states that have uh, the racketeering statute. So I'd encourage people that do have that statute to take a look at it. The other thing about most racketeering statutes is you don't have to rely on the prosecutor. You as a civilian or as a company can file a RICO lawsuit on people that have harmed you and get up to trouble damages. So three times the amount of damages that they stole or damaged or, or hurt you with. Man, that's really interesting. Okay, I feel like I could ask you questions forever. However, we're hopefully get you back on the podcast at some point. And then I'd maybe get you at one of our events. We'd love to have you. Um, you're clearly a wealth of information. Look, I really appreciate you taking the time, John. Thank you so much. It. I appreciate your platform. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.
Thanks. You too. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can always tweet us at Let's Talk LP. Don't forget to download Talk LP News app for breaking loss prevention headlines in the palm of your hand. Thanks, guys. See ya. Cause, cause, cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.